Hi, I'm your host, Marian Walter, Head of Strategy here at Staking Rewards, and you're listening to the Staking Mondays podcast, where we provide weekly actionable insight from the staking industry for investors, professionals, and beginners. My special guest this week is Danku. Danku is a familiar face in crypto Twitter, has uh, 91k followers there, and on YouTube, it's 26k followers. Uh, he focuses on, focuses on new developments in the Cosmos ecosystem and started with yield farming strategies on Terra. You can find him moderating panels on leading crypto summits like our Staking World Staking Summit in Lisbon in November this year. Next to this, he's running a validator business together with Dyke Capital. Denko brings a unique perspective from combining his experience in crypto Twitter and the marketing attention game with running a validator business. Today, we are going to talk about his road from content creator to validator. We'll cover his learnings, insights, best practices, and an outlook on the current and future staking market. Danku, welcome to the Staking Mondays. Great to have you on the show. Yeah, big thank you for the invitation. Can I get you to also usually read this out? It sounds amazing. <laughs> it feels good <laughs> yeah. on a Monday morning. <laughs> Glad you like it. Um, you know, last time we spoke on the Staking Summit, uh, Actually, FTX, I checked the time later on, FTX was just halting the withdrawals back then. Uh, were you affected by the FTX collapse? No, uh, fortunately, I was not affected uh, by this. I can remember it also quite vividly because I was flying back then a day later. I think it was on a Wednesday. And then everybody was going crazy on Twitter. You had those amazing Twitter spaces with thousands of people. And I was sitting at the airport in Lisbon. It's like nobody else cared about this. Right? It's like our world is going down. Crypto is burning, but it seems that the rest of the world is not caring about that too much. And yeah, I was very lucky that uh, I was not affected by this. Uh, personally, I think I created an FTX account just out of curiosity last year just to gamble a bit around because so many people were using it. And uh, it was gaining a lot of traction. And uh, a lot of sponsorship deals were done by FTX, but uh, fortunately, I was not affected myself. I hope you not, neither, but uh, I was lucky that it wasn't for me. Yeah, I had the unfortunate uh, situation where I was, uh, while flying to Lisbon, I was in the in the line and um, there was this family who was really blocking just the, the luggage drop. And I sat there uh, just knowing, okay, I just need five calm minutes to get my stuff down there uh, from the account <laughs> and it was just it, it was i was not able to to exit the queue so actually i did what i could from my mobile phone got okay. got something off there and got a little bit amount stuck on ftx uh, after that but yeah this was very uh, angering you could say because it was like everything uh, had conspired against me <laughs> in that, in that yeah. situation yeah that's that's crazy i'm sorry to hear that yeah it's i think a lot of people have been affected by this a lot of crazy stories of people that are well known in the space, right? Um, on the other side, I think as always, it has also an upside in terms of more people are aware of this, not your keys, not your crypto. Even those kind of people that are for a long time in the space were still using FTX. You could now ask kind of why, but it's just that on chain, we don't have yet the tools, right? To do everything. It's not that easy to interact with leverage positions or perps or other stuff and having different accounts. So yeah, I'm, I hope that you got at least something out there and then mm. it was not too severe for you. Yeah, yeah. So I, I got, got away with a scratch, I would say. And it is true. So uh, the centralized exchanges, uh, it is much better user experience. There is better and worse still, but um, the, the one of the biggest issues for crypto is really the user experience, I would say. And um, we all speak about onboarding the next billion people to crypto. And for that, we need to overcome the UX challenge. I would say this is the biggest and most important one at the moment. Yeah, uh, by far. I mean, 
Um, I'm right now working with some other people on trying to uh, create a little bit of a curriculum, kind of an easy onboarding for the German market, right? And kind of trying to have a few stuff that we are recording right now. And we have somebody in there who is doing an amazing work in helping us to structuring this from a learning perspective. And he doesn't know anything about crypto. And we're trying to explain it to him. And he said, the heck, this feels like 1999 or 97 talking to people that are in the internet. And it's so bad in terms of UI, UX, and how can this be? Why is this so different? And what do you mean by different chain, different wallet? Yeah, it's still wild that it uh, is so early, literally. I mean, it's funny to say we are still early because people say we're not. So many people know about this. But at the same time, if we really look at the topic of on-chain businesses, which are crucial long-term and are the ones that we are interested in, we are truly early. We need a ton of improvement in terms of UI, UX, for sure. Hmm. What I've looked most forward to in this conversation today is that you, you really bring a unique perspective. And that is uh, that you started out first gathering a huge uh, yeah, attention for your work on the Terra ecosystem, both on YouTube and uh, Twitter. And I just wanted to paint this episode a little bit more biographically, so to say. Um, your road from, from where you started out to where you are now. And um, first of all, I wanted to ask you, uh, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? How did you start out of school where you are now? Uh, yeah, and sorry, I think my, my camera is striking a bit. It's not very clear. I don't know why. Maybe it's the background color. Um, yeah, happy to do so. Uh, I mean, nobody knows my real name in this scene, uh, which is funny. I mean, some know, and uh, it's partly how you also basically connect and Danku because my real name is Daniel. Some know it, but nobody asked, right? I know that on one big conference, I was doxed my real name. And then people said, this is not your name, right? It's <laughs> Danku in the end, which I think is pretty funny for how people interact in this scene. Uh, my background, um, I was born and raised in Germany, even if I'm uh, Spanish in terms of family, but that's how a typical European story is basically starting, right? I'm feeling also European, connecting those two words together. And then I had a classic um, school career, and then I went over and started uh, studying industrial engineering, which is something completely different. I have no financial or technical background. I have this very German, I would say, uh, background in terms of connecting economics and on the other side, engineering uh, in industrial engineering. And I did bachelor and master's. And then uh, after finishing this, I started working for a big uh, construction tool company for several years, first of all, in sales. And then I went over to strategic marketing, first doing pricing for Central Europe and then as a global pricing business partner for the whole world. So you can see that kind of my background is completely different, a more classic, could you say Web 2? Because it's not connected to technology, but I think more like legacy world where I'm coming from, right? And I'm personally have been always invested and interested in technology into all those kind of trends, be it back then with starting with the iPhone. I was very proud to have one of the first iPhones and using it, I already said, this is the future and people were laughing at me. I can remember one of my best friends, I was with him on his birthday and his family was sitting there and I was showing my iPhone and saying, take a look at this, this is groundbreaking. They said, nah, this is not groundbreaking. Nobody will use this. And then a year later we were sitting down and everybody was having their iPhones <laughs> and using it. And that's how I'm feeling uh, right now a bit. And what changed is that I just took now the chance to also actively involve myself in this industry, right? And being a contributor and saying, you know what, uh, if I believe in this and it's super interesting kind of creating the new internet, let me try to invest myself in. But as I said, no financial background, which a lot of people uh, often kind of assume, um, seeing my videos in terms of trying to decipher everything around DeFi. I'm coming from, as I said, an industrial engineering background. And yeah, one year ago, more or less, I decided, hey, let me try to focus on crypto because I'm just interested. 
And almost out of coincidence or like an accident, I created my YouTube channel, as you said, with the Terra ecosystem. But yeah, maybe we can talk about this on a separate question that you might have. <laughs> uh, so you mentioned you you basically just started out last year. Um, how did you discover crypto and what drew you in? Yeah, um, I mean, my first Bitcoin I bought at the end of 2017, if I'm not mistaken. I can remember it quite vividly because it was a pain to get Bitcoin back then, right? It's like, I can't remember the name of the exchange, but it felt very bad, right? I thought the first moment that my money is immediately gone. And then I downloaded it with a wallet that was not really working. And I was feeling like, this is nothing for me. Then the prices went up and down so much. It's like, no. And I back then I didn't really understand what Bitcoin is all about, right? So I left this topic. I never came back. And then at the end of 2020, my brother got me back into this, right? Uh, at Christmas, I can remember it quite vividly. He said, dude, just look into this. And then he was showing his portfolio on crypto.com. <laughs> Pretty <laughs> proud that he was doing very good in terms of performance. And I said, no, I, I really don't know if I should. And he said, it's not about trading or gambling um, because that's what I never got into still until this day. It's really about something uh, generally shifting in terms of internet. And I said, maybe I look into this and uh, I'm a big podcast fan. So that's cool why I'm also here uh, with you talking about this stuff. And uh, I listened to stuff like Lex Friedman and he started mm. to also invite more crypto people and talk about Bitcoin and other projects. Like he had the founder of Algorand also in there. And then he invited Anthony Pompeiano. And then it really, I got interested a lot because I like the ideas about what crypto is basically all about, about freedom tech, about decentralizing networks and also specifically the internet. And then I just looked deeper into this. And I mean, we were still in the middle of COVID. So I had a lot of time <laughs> basically to do this, uh, taking some long walks, listening to the podcasts about crypto. And then I got deeper every day and it really hooked me up. And there is also a very nice German thriller called uh, Monte Crypto, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it's basically a thriller around uh, the story of crypto which I think is also amazing. I can only recommend it if somebody wants to read that book. It's really good. And uh, it also gives you the base layer if you want to start uh, looking more into crypto. I think it's a nice first touch point. Mm -hmm. And then uh, you started to create YouTube videos about yield farming on Luna and Terra. Why Luna and Terra? <laughs> so, uh, I mean, it took me a while, right? So January, February, March, I got interested, finally created my accounts, uh, bought again uh, some crypto. And then pretty quickly, I asked some sort of my questions. So how the heck can we make this to use it on a daily basis, right? So how can I go to my mother and tell her, hey, buy some Bitcoin uh, because she would like to maybe in the future go into a grocery store and do something with it, right? Buy, I don't know, bread, whatever it is. So I basically immediately saw the difficulty that Bitcoin is way too volatile, at least on the moment, uh, to use this on a day-to-day -day basis. So I was directly looking into the topic of stable coins. And I thought it would be amazing to somehow connect this independency and sovereignty and value creation of Bitcoin to any kind of stablecoin system. And if you listen to this, you probably immediately uh, hear kind of the connection to Terra, right? Because that was the first ecosystem I saw where you basically create this volatile value creation on the one side with Luna and on the other side, the stablecoin UST, which now in hindsight failed. But I still think it was worthwhile trying, but there were a lot of mistakes made on the business development side to aggressive growth and some technical issues that we now discovered uh, in hindsight. So I, I just got interested. I saw some videos from CoinBureau. Shout out to him. He's an amazing YouTuber, right? Bringing me also into this uh, whole ecosystem with his nice videos. And um, then Mirror Protocol version two started on Terra, right? So Mirror Protocol 
was where you could basically trade stocks, which were mirrored on chain. So then you, instead of Apple stock, you had an M Apple and the version two of this protocol went out and there was a very nice way to do Delta neutral farming. Uh, what I did on Twitter, right? I was not known. I had no followership at all. I created a flow chart explaining what you need to do step-by-step step to do this Delta neutral farming. And then I went to Discord in the Terra Discord. I was uh, getting pretty involved and people were asking, could you explain this to me? So I went into Discord, uh, went into the voice chat, explained it to people. And then somebody just said, dude, just do a video and I can watch it later on. It's easy. I can also visualize it. And I said, okay, I can try. <laughs> so that's where basically my first video came from, just trying to help people and put it then on YouTube. And after the video went live, showing that strategy, somebody asked me, hey, could you show me step-by-step step how to do it? So I uploaded another video showing step-by-step step what to do on Mirror Protocol. And then another one asked, can you show me the numbers one by one with your Excel sheet? And I said, okay, let me do this as well. <laughs> so I had my first three videos, people liked them. I had a lot of fun doing this. So I said, let me just keep on and see if people like it. So that's also why I went into the Terra ecosystem almost also by accident. I just involved myself, understood it, tried to explain it and my journey just started. It's like then positive feedback loops, right? Uh, yeah. You, you immediately got that positive feedback and then um, you were drawn into it. Uh, but then fast forward one year uh, later, uh, like February, March uh, this year, uh, at some point the whole uh, Luna UST ecosystem broke apart. Uh, can you walk us through the moment you realized that this was basically crushing and was dead. My uh, May 9th, if I'm not mistaken, is the day when the DPAC um, started. Uh, yeah, PTSD all over the place. Uh, I think that was one of the craziest weeks I've had in my life by far, right? Um, trying to help people also with Twitter spaces where we had thousands of people in the Twitter spaces trying to understand what's happening there. It's funny when you ask me kind of when do I realize when this happened, uh, because it was on a Monday, right? When uh, this all truly went down. And on a Saturday, I had a call with a good friend who is also active in the Terra ecosystem. Don't want to mention him here. Uh, maybe he doesn't want to be mentioned. And uh, we were just talking about uh, maybe uh, tackling a certain project. And then he was asking me, how do you see right now the ecosystem? I said, dude, I just woke up this morning. And for the first time, I have really a bad feeling. I don't know why. I, I was doing the videos on Anchor Protocol and the reserve. The reserve was dwindling down by a lot. They were bringing down the interest rate of 20% finally, but I said, it's still not too fast, right? And I told him, I have a bad feeling. And I remember on that day, I called my mother and I said, I don't know, maybe I'm broke next week. Right? Maybe, I don't know why. So I just had this feeling, nothing happened yet. And then um, <clears throat> for me, if I'm not mistaken, it was midnight on Saturday. We saw the first mini DPAC, I think 0.025%, so 25 bips. Uh, of UST. And interestingly enough, we were already seeing on chain that this was connected to the change of the curve pool, right? Uh, from this kind of infrastructure that was there to the future three pool uh, with UST, which should have been a big defense line. And then kind of we were seeing that it was a slight DPEG, but we had seen a lot of times a slight DPEG, right? Because this is algorithmic, this is how the system still works, right? Sometimes it's a bit below, sometimes it's a bit uh, above $1. And then yeah, I went to bed and I woke up next next day and uh, we had a bigger DPAC. And then we had this tweet from Do Kwan saying, damn, I was just arriving right now because it seems that the whole Terraform Labs um, leadership team was in a very long flight overnight, <laughs> exactly that night when it happened. Also another coincidence. 
Uh, and then he was tweeting like, do again, another attack, like always, no worries, deploying capital, whatever, uh, this is no problem. And then it went back up, right? Almost to a dollar, but never really to a dollar on that Sunday. And everybody said like, as always, nothing crazy will happen. And then, yeah, it never came back and it was going slightly down, down, down. And then Monday itself happened. And then the true DPEG, I think down to 95 cents and 90 cents and 85%. And I need to tell you that that week, I cannot really remember besides Saturday to Monday morning because it was more normal day set up what happened afterwards. It's like hours of Twitter spaces. And I remember, I think Monday night, I was sitting with other people until three or four in the morning, seeing if we get liquidated on the different platforms and seeing what's happening. I mean, this is really kind of like a movie, the story, right? And then having calls with people around the world, it's like, what's happening here? What did you do? Do you still have money in there? Did you sell? Did you buy back in? Let's put in more money. We can, then they had this, sorry, I need to call it out, kind of a little bit of bullshit, kind of we are the pack, MF, Akka, you know what I mean? I don't want to say the word here, which I, I never kind of saw myself into that direction. I never put like the moon or so in my name because I'm just a big fan of everything in the end of this whole uh, blockchain ecosystem. But yeah, I don't know if this all makes sense to you, but it was a crazy week. That's yeah. how it started. I had a bad feeling that truly something happened and then it just broke. And uh, yeah, it, it was wild. And then there are a lot of things that just go through your mind. First of the things as being a German tax <laughs> shit, <laughs> what does it mean in terms of tax, right? Because uh, you had certain goals or you, you need to, of course, you had certain events because of DeFi last year and, and all this kind of stuff and figuring it all out while I was just three months truly going all into this, right? Because I had a normal job that I mentioned earlier. I just quit it because I believe in this ecosystem. I then built up this validators to create some revenue for the YouTube channel. And then just three months later, and a month later, after all-time high of Luna, right, which is also crazy, uh, the whole system just breaks. Uh, wild, wild stuff. Do you feel? Uh, do you still follow the Terror Rebels? I mean, we had Alex Forscher here on the show announcing uh, his proposal to rewrite, revive uh, LUNC and USDN. Mm -hmm. um, so, when they first appeared. Uh, I I'm usually always very cautious also because the feeling and is often still around Lunk that we have now the Dodge and Shiba Inu community over, right? That just expect it's another meme coin prices go up. So um, I was talking to, uh, I don't think that it's the guy that you were mentioning, the Italian one. Mm. Uh, what's his name? You know which one I mean, but I don't have the name right now. Uh, and so, but it's a, a triumvirate. It's three people there. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um and I was very kind of, let's say, aggressive or negative against what they were trying to do, right? Because maybe it's also my German background. If something is dead, just leave it dead. Right? So it doesn't make sense maybe to bring it back. Uh, it's a failed project. Uh, also, if you Google right now Luna probably or Terra, it's not a good idea, right? Because if you are new and do come into the ecosystem and Google it, you just see all the old crazy news, probably not a good starting point in terms of marketing and uh, branding. Mm. Um, so I was assuming that they were only doing this to trying to just capitalize a bit, buying themselves a bit of Lunk, uh, hoping that kind of this whole new community arrives, they buy it up, price goes up, and then they can dump uh, on the people. So I even had a call uh, with them kind of being or challenging them a bit, but they took the time. Um, they also tried to explain to me that they really believed in reviving the chain. Right. And I said, you know what? I mean, I'm not against it. I'm a validator on chain on the old one and on the new one. 
if you want to try to do this and you put resources in, we are happily to support you in terms of infrastructure, right? And we also voted in that direction so that you can move on and you can, you can make it, then make it. But unfortunately, what I see right now is happening is no surprise what is a big challenge. If they truly try to bring back, bring back USTC to $1, that's almost impossible. It's probably the biggest, I don't know, economical thing that you need to try in the whole world. It's almost impossible mathematically right? <laughs> trying to bring it back. And then you have this kind of whole community, which right now has some people that are truly shilling. Lunk, just yesterday, somebody was tweeting again, I'm holding this until it's $1. And I said, dude, have you done the math? How <laughs> what this means, right? You would be basically, I don't know, the whole economic value of the whole world would be represented only by Lunk if it's back to a dollar. Uh, and I don't like it because that's exactly what we don't need in crypto, right? Mm -hmm. We don't need this casino vibe. Uh, we truly need to talk about use cases. But unfortunately, we're still far away, it seems. And you already mentioned that you run a validator to to monetize your YouTube audience. And this is something that I haven't found anywhere in the ecosystem so far yet. Uh, how did that come about? And how did you, in the end, uh, work with Dyke Capital to run yeah. the validator business? Yeah, happy to talk about this. And shout out to Dyke. Uh, which are an amazing team helping me with the tech in the background. So when the YouTube channel was growing, right, um, end of November, beginning of December, and I said, maybe I want to focus just full-time in crypto. Now is the time to truly do it also for myself. I was, of course, put with the challenge of how do I monetize um, this, even if I maybe take the upside of now doing something good by holding certain coins last year and I can just live for a few months or years from this, I still need to create a sustainable business out of this. And I personally, being a hardcore YouTube watcher, don't like uh, ads, right? And I also don't like uh, paid content in terms of that you're basically creating a closed community where others don't get the information. While at the moment in crypto and in DeFi, we need people to understand what's happening here. So getting out the information for free. Right. And then I said, so I don't want it to do paid content because I don't believe in it. I don't want it to do ads because I also don't think that they make sense. And Patreon is something that I think is probably also not that useful at the moment where my channel was because it was still very small, right? Uh, kind of hitting uh, or going across 30,000 at that moment, kind of it's not enough in terms of support. So I was thinking of, is there a way to connect now this Web3 world with my YouTube channel and somehow monetize it and create a win-win? out of this and I called it aligned incentives. And I thought that the validator business is the best shot at this because in the end, everybody who is invested into crypto probably holds a certain token and anyway stakes. And I have an interest myself in all those ecosystems because I anyway talk about this and I'm also a voice out there. So why not trying to create a validator business where I can be a community validator, right? Because I have also a saying in governance people anyway stake. So why not staking with me instead of a validator that they've never heard about and they just took it because it's in the top 10. And then in the end, I truly am more invested into the ecosystem because I have an upside when I talk about them, when I try to understand them and then show them also to all my viewers. And if they like, they just stake with us and we get the commission. And it's a win-win in the end because nobody needs to pay to get my content. But hopefully if I do a good job, people stake with us. They have trust in our infrastructure. And then I just get the upside of the commission. And back then, we, when we decided to make the move, we started, of course, with the Terra ecosystem. Just entering the set was from a commission perspective uh, and making turnover very good game, a play back then, right? So you were making at least enough money where I would say, hey, 
that's cool. We can live from this. Uh, with Dai Capital, we make 50-50. You make infrastructure. I make basically BD and marketing. Let's see where we go. And we, I think we entered the set in beginning of February um, 22, where still Terra was, I think, I don't know, I think it's 60 or $80 back then. And only by entering it, it was already a huge step forward for us. It was basically a thumbs up of, yes, uh, we can try to make this a sustainable business. Mm. And also you then are aligned to to create good educational content to make people understand the the ecosystem how everything works uh, and to get more adoption into the system so it actually is a very nice alignment of interest there so i found that very clever um, and maybe this is a model that other youtubers can also uh, employ for them when they create crypto content yeah, could could be cool. I mean, proof of stake is getting more and more into the focus, right? I mean, this would be impossible for a Bitcoin YouTuber, <laughs> I would mm -hmm. say. So it has to be somebody more Cosmos focused. Well, I think all the big other ones are right now proof of stake driven. And even more important right now, where I've seen that some educators or people creating content are even asking right now for money uh, in different ecosystem and grants to just sustain their business because at the moment it's just very difficult out there and i don't think that it makes sense for an ecosystem to pay for educational content because you immediately have that bias in there you could also say that i'm biased because i have a certain validator in there but i'm not tied to do it right if somebody actively pays me <laughs> then i need to do it it's almost like paid content and this is the other way around i mean shout out to crypto cito uh, who is also having stake cito so is having a similar model um, mm -hmm. as i'm having right now with dyke and he's also having a team behind him doing this. So I think both of us are doing it in a similar direction. Friends, which is another validator, which are focusing on validation itself, but they have a YouTube channel and they partly also do it. And both of them have um, created or have been part of the team for Cosmoverse in Medellin, right? They are all a big group. And I think there are just some people trying to go more in that direction. And interestingly enough, now validators go more into the content piece the other way around, right? Mm -hmm. So because they see right now, huh, people are asking questions so how do we get involved into all this ecosystem well let's do content a podcast a video whatever so it seems that this is just a nice niche moving forward you already mentioned your focus um, of course on the cosmos ecosystem as well but uh, what's the current status of the cosmos ecosystem after cosmos 2.0 proposal was rejected and what did you vote for <laughs> Um, I voted for yes. I mean, everybody can see it on chain, I, I think, so, or at least with Danku Zone, we voted um, yes. I mean, I think Cosmos or Atom 2.0 is not crucial for the general development of the Cosmos ecosystem itself, right? So um, if you try to explain to somebody Cosmos is already complicated because you have the Cosmos Hub, which is an independent blockchain, which is not even smart contract enabled. And that's where the Atom token come from. And that itself is not relevant for the success of the whole Cosmos ecosystem, which is different blockchains, or they call it app chains, created on the Cosmos SDK, which is just uh, a developer kit to basically bootstrap very quickly uh, a blockchain, which also Terra back then was based on. And right now there are big names like Osmosis, Ethmos, uh, Juno, and you name them. Like also Injective and Torchain are also based on that kind of Cosmos um, SDK. Now, of course, I don't know even why, but this is almost historically grown. Even if the Cosmos chain, so Cosmos Hub with Atom itself, never had a use case, it was just basically an example of, hey, take a look, this can work. A lot of people took this as a basic investment into the whole Cosmos ecosystem, which doesn't make sense. 
but it was very successful because the new other app chains decided to make an airdrop to people that were holding Atom. And that was why you could, in terms of yield, create a ton of money just by holding Atom because of those other amazing airdrops, like the Atmos one was super successful, Osmosis one, and then you could just stake it. So that's why it almost makes no sense why Atom has so much value because it can do nothing <laughs> and it has no value by itself and it has no value generation. But now um, with IBC, so connecting all those blockchains without a different bridge infrastructure, and there are other people from a technical perspective that can explain it better than me, uh, Atom is in a position where by just doing a few tweaks, you could give value creation back to the Atom token, which is then partly connected or described in Atom 2.0, but not all of this. So we have new stuff as that IBC connecting blockchains working perfect. And now you have interchain security. So a concept of you do not need to have a validator set to run a proof of chain blockchain. You can take it and borrow it basically from somebody else, the security. So now you can use the validator set from Atom to run your own new blockchain. And the moment you do this, you see that now Atom as a token itself becomes way more value because now this token is responsible also for a completely another chain, which can be very successful long-term. And with Atom 2.0, because seeing all those developments, there was now uh, the idea to trying to capitalize more on this and make Atom as a token itself more valuable, right? So liquid staking derivatives are right now coming. You have this interchain security. How do you adjust the tokenomics just a bit to capitalize long-term more on this? But the big, big problem with Atom 2.0 is, and if you've read that white paper, you probably saw it, it's like a 30-page crazy monster where you have a ton of very cool concepts put together. And the more concepts you have uh, in one boat, the more difficult it is to get everybody on the same page, right? So that's why a lot of people started to say no with Veto because they didn't agree with all of the points mentioned mm -hmm. in the white paper, which I also understood. And I also shared this openly on Twitter that I think it makes sense to break it down into different pieces. Now you could ask, why the heck do you still say yes? Well, because I would say better to move to not move at all, right? So even if people say this will not work, let's at least try it because a lot of people thought about this. Maybe you can give feedback, but at least let's kick this process off and then we can still do a change, changes during the process itself, which is, I think, no problem at all. But a lot of people said, no, we don't even want to kick this off. We want to have a new proposal, maybe broken down into several sub-proposals. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, you can give me feedback if you think that it makes sense how I argued. <laughs> but mm -hmm. I rather like to move instead of just sit down because what the Cosmos ecosystem can do very good is discuss for ages <laughs> without anybody moving. Mm -hmm. I think the whole, uh, the whole game of um, governance that's run by validators it's it's vastly under supported or under resourced mm -hmm. uh, so much goes into governance and it's so crucial i mean we we don't even have very good tooling for governance to simplify the task for validators um you and i discussed at the staking summit it's it's like you need how many decisions need to be made how much research would would be needed to put in to understand what the changes are about and then to to vote on them properly. Uh, only, I would say, huge validators with big research teams could do that. So there's definitely a gap here in the market for a solution that um, that creates the 
transparency and clarity for validators to really make informed govern governance decisions. And then again, you have a little bit like a very powerful central node in the network that uh, could potentially have huge influence on, on a lot of validators. So there's a centralization risk in there as well. So this is really, really a problem that we that I see in, in governance right now. And it's interesting to see how you approach it with um, uh, Denku with Die Capital. I can tell you that, as you said, um, the, the amount of work that goes into validator, kind of running a validator as a whole is kind of crazy. And I'm happy to have with Dye Capital an amazing team from a technical side, um, handling all this kind of stuff and running now our infrastructure from Austria. And um, we have for a Slack channel or basically Daycast, where they also invited me in, where we get pinged every time a new governance proposal goes in. And it's pinging every day, basically, because we are right now live on, I think, 14 chains today on mainnet, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, yeah, so we have this automatized bot that pings us if something goes in. And then it pings us again if we are about to not vote because we are forgetting it, <laughs> because there's also a lot of stuff that you're doing during the day. And then what we agreed upon doing in our team is basically everybody, we are six people, has an equal vote voting right and they just give a thumbs up thumbs down or an abstain or also a no veto it's basically uh, a red emoji uh, on that one if he even wants to express uh, that vote itself uh, and then to vote on this uh, accordingly and i can already tell you that uh, you can imagine that not all of the six people are too much involved to even uh, do a proper vote uh, according to their own insights so it's often just uh, me and peter shout out to him he's anyway doing the votes and me just being close to the whole ecosystem and being 24-7 uh, on Twitter, maybe even too much time <laughs> on there trying to see where everybody's going. And every morning I go into the discords, I read through all the different governance chats. Uh, I'm trying to go into the channels uh, for validators itself and trying to just get a feeling what's right now happening out there. And then if there is a vote, I at least go quickly into the governance um, forum and trying to read through it and make a decision, yes or no. Um, this is a lot of work that goes in there. And as you said, you probably you probably need a true research team to make a good decision on all of this. Most of the stuff, we also need to be honest, is not too complex. There's a lot of stuff like on Osmosis where you have this weekly uh, adjustment of the rewards or incentives for Osmo. It's like just numbers. I mean, yes, thumbs up. <laughs> it's it, Let's be honest, right? I don't know if a validator checks every numbers every time. I, we need to be, we don't do it. We, we need to be honest here, right? We basically trust the proposal because it's running every week and then we give a, a thumbs up. And the other piece, what we do, we have a small Telegram channel and we encourage people to just reach out to us if they would like to discuss a certain governance proposal. But this is also not happening too often because let's be honest, stakers are not often involved into the ecosystem itself, right? They buy the token, they stake it for the yield and they have, no clue what's happening on the governance and they don't want to even be <laughs> involved in this topic which also raises the question of how much of a political party is a validator which mm -hmm. i don't like and don't want to be seen as a political party uh, we also have no ultimate voting rights because we can always be overruled by the staker itself which i think is cool but this is uh one of the discussions we have to have you said we are missing proper tooling on the one side and we are also missing a deeper understanding of what a validator should ultimately be, right? Because if you are high 
on a validator set, I can also tell you that a lot of people approach you actively and say, dude, you're up there, involve yourself more. <laughs> mm. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? Mm. And uh, yeah, it's it's a very interesting dynamic that starts there. <laughs> I think uh, this will be an interesting research field also for uh, academic research, uh, looking into um, economically incentivized policy decisions, uh, the, the game theory and mechanics around it. And um, the good thing is you have all the information on chain. Um, so it's actually, you have so many social experiments running there. Um, I would encourage uh, academic researchers to look into this. Uh, but I think the first split or the, the first way to simplify the problem, at least for me, is like you will have a long tail of uh, not so important governance decisions and only a few ones that are really meaningful. And then uh, everyone will, of course, look into the most important ones. So um, it's basically you have limited resources of attention and you need to invest them properly. So people will invest in, in those proposals that have the highest impact economic impact or a general impact on the network the, the question another one that i raised a few weeks back and i was quickly trying to if i find the slide but i don't have it at hand um are we economically incentive even to vote because if you take a look at um, the prices right now and how much a validator is doing on the different chains you quickly identify that a lot of people are running at a loss and there are some networks where even the whole set because of certain decisions are running at a loss. And there is the question, first of all, of security as a whole, because the idea of, as for Bitcoin itself, right, is that miners can have a reward economically. That's why they're mining, right? But what happens if somebody is not making any money with this? Why the heck should they still be running the chain? Which in the Cosmos ecosystem, because of the depressed prices is happening for a lot of validators. And I think there is a risk uh, long-term because the yield is going down, the prices are going down, there is still sell pressure even from the validators all the time. And then yeah. the, if there is no incentive to run the chain, there is also no incentive to do governance decisions. And I think first of all comes the time that you invest in there. And I think people will just cut down and making proper decisions because why the heck focusing on this? At the moment, you partly just get enough money or revenue generated to run the infrastructure. And now you also, I think, should think about in terms of hours invested to pay it out to people that do research. And that's impossible to do right now. So if you really think about this as a business, validation makes no sense unless, as you mentioned in the beginning, you are a truly big dog out there and uh, having a whole team, which I think is great. They are needed because they're doing amazing work like um, just, I mean, which Citadel One, Chorus One, all of those, right? They have big teams. They're doing great research for the ecosystems. But all the other small validators often run at a loss and do it just out of pure own interest to run it and uh, out of love, I would almost say, for the uh, ecosystem and the communities. But there's something that we also need to talk about because this is not sustainable. Could you give us a ballpark figure? How many validators are running at a loss at the moment? Yeah, I was trying to find the slide. I don't have it at hand right now, but I can just quickly run through my Twitter profile because it was just a month or so ago. Um, I'm just scrolling right now through. So, uh, ah, there you go. I have the slide here. I can even share my screen if you want. Yeah, I don't sure. know if you can bring it up. Um, Please. Share screen. Share. So what do we have here? This is a tweet I was putting out, and I was checking if a validator runs at $100 a month, at $250 and $1,000 a month in terms of expenses, right? 
that's, what that's does pure, this... that's that's purely uh, infrastructure right yeah exactly yeah well yeah infrastructure but so a lot of people i think are assuming that the minimum infrastructure that you need to pay right now it's the cheapest also is 100 dollars more or less but if you want to scale up a bit and be ready to also uh, let's say if you have peaks in terms of the blockchain usage i think 250 dollars is something more reasonable and then what i was putting on top here is an example of let's say somebody invests their own time a bit more not just infrastructure i think you at least need to think about expenses of a thousand dollars a month so those are the three expense levels and then what I was analyzing for the big chains, you see them here represented with icons, how many of the validators right now at current token prices and the yield that you have there are running uh, still a break even, right? And you can see here, if you say expenses are $100, most of the chains right now, the validators, all the validators across the set are still running break even. So you see here, Axla 100%, Osmosis almost 100%, Persistent and Injective not all 100%, but at least everybody is doing good. If you just increase a bit the cost, which I think all of us should be planning because you want to be bare metal, you want to run higher infrastructure because you, as I said, if you have a peak in the usage of the chain, you don't want it to go down immediately and then get the risk of getting jailed. The picture already changes by a ton, right? We have a lot of chains which are still at least close to 100% of the validators running break even, but some of them like secret, Persistence, Stargaze, Agoric, and I don't want to point at any of those chains, just pure numbers are already uh, not running break even, right? So it's more like 60 to 75%. As you see here, a lot of chains uh, that the validators are still running break even, but 25% just make a loss. And then if you increase the expenses to almost $1,000, because there are people that also don't, don't only want to run the infrastructure, they if they run a business, they need to make money because they need to pay for their food, right? So they also would like to make a bit of profit um, out there. And then you can see that almost none of the chains um, is running on a most part break even for the validators. So you see here, this is 50% of the validators run break even at a cost of $1,000. This was, when was it? November 11th. And you can see here, Osmosis, Juno, Secret, Persistence, Agoric, Injective, Stargaze, uh, Kujira, and also Akash, less than 50% are running break even. Just the big ones like Cosmos, why? Because the market cap is so high, right? So if the mm -hmm. token price is high, of course, there's a high probability that the token um, makes also good money for you. Afmos has an insane yield still over 130%. That's why it's making money here. And this is the Terra 2 network. Everybody started with 2 million Luna immediately in the beginning, right? So there was a very good Nakamoto coefficient. Everybody had a lot of tokens and Exla was also still up here. So those are the ecosystems which are basically giving enough money to the validators to run it, to all of them, even if they have high expenses and want to make money. But you see that in general, it seems that there is a problem. If we truly assume that somebody wants to run a business with validators, right? Mm. It's not sustainable economically. Uh, on which data is that analysis based upon? So um, it's also in the tweet itself. So what I'm basically doing is um, calculating the revenue based on the delegation, token price, commission, and staking APR, right? Then I get a number. Then I can basically attach that number to all of the different validators. And then on the other side, I just put the expensive uh, expenses next to this. Hmm. And that's how you calculate it. I hope that makes sense. Give me feedback, sir. <laughs> yeah, that's a very, very um, valuable um, graph and also mental model to have in mind to, to see that. Uh, 
I would say the right way to to look at it from a macro perspective is how much of the network value expressed in market cap of the protocol or the network is being paid out to validators to secure the infrastructure for that network. For, yeah. for Bitcoin, I don't know, it it's it's around 1%, 1.5%. Um, you could look at Ethereum. And here you see definitely on the, on the long tail of the assets in crypto, uh, it's actually, yeah, it's not incentivized enough to have a big enough validator set. And then it goes right to the next question, right? What what size of a validator set is big enough? You, you mentioned at the staking summit that we will need to have changes of reducing the, the validator set in the future because it's not... It's not sustainable to have so many validators, especially for, for chains that are smaller. Yeah. So I think, um, as you said, the mental model in the end is if this is right now not enough, that which is paid out for the validators to run the business, what can you do? What can you change? And um, in the Cosmos space right now, the yield is already high enough, right? I mean, we talk in general about between 25 and even 45% uh, APR, which then people take a commission from as a validator. So if this is not okay, we can try to increase the token price. That would be great. Everybody would be happy, but <laughs> you cannot easily do this. You can increase commission, which yes. So basically you're taking away the yield from the stakers and give it to validators, which maybe should be thought about more, even like dynamic, like having a base commission, which non-validator can change just to ensure like everybody should have $250 at the end of the month could be, right? So mm -hmm. a more flexible commission. Or the other way is just give to less people the money, which means just reducing the validator set. Then people just come over and say, well, do you think it's a good idea because we are then again being more centralized? And I think that's not a valid argument because if you take a look at the chains, they're still very top heavy. Even if you cut out half of the set from a Nakamoto coefficient and decentralization, almost nothing changes <laughs> because it's still so top heavy with most of the chains mm. that it's irrelevant. And um, I think there is an upside in at least thinking about what if we just start with a smaller set, make sure that the ecosystem grows, that we create enough revenue to pay also our validators. And once we reach that point, we just increase the set step by step. That could be something I think relevant as said, I don't think we lose anything in terms of decentralization. It helps the validators to grow healthy, the ecosystem. And then once we reach a certain state, we can just increase the set, which also happened to Cosmos, right? So the Cosmos Hub itself, I think it started just with two validators back then when they spin up the chain and now we're at 175 and almost everybody, as we've seen with the numbers, is running at a plus at the moment, breaking even, which is great. I think chain should not start with more than 25, maximum 50 validators. I think that's more than enough. And then just make sure that everybody has more or less the same stake in the beginning. So you're truly decentralized because that's way more relevant than just having a ton of validators. That doesn't help. Very interesting. And I think this uh, clarifies a lot for for listeners that are just tuning in. Um, another thing is you mentioned you currently run 14 chains. Uh, here, a little bit of treasury management or asset management comes into play because uh, validators, they get the rewards in the native tokens that they are validating. So they have the underlying price risk of their token to their balance sheet, you could say. So this needs to be managed. And um, I think there are different models for it. Hedging it just works for the biggest tokens out there. So it's not a valid thing to do uh, to secure 
price risk of your of your treasury so actually you need to actively manage that meaning you need to make decisions on what to sell to cover your running expenses as a validator and what you want to keep to yeah make a bet on on further growth future growth like price increase could you give us a little bit of uh, insight how you uh, at danku with die capital validator so to say make this decision um yeah it's uh it's a very difficult thing <laughs> to make there a good decision as you said um everybody can see on chain actively if we claimed rewards yes or no that's why um if they want to check what we're doing right now it's pretty easy for them to check and you would see that we basically don't touch our rewards at all for most of the chains because it just economically doesn't make sense because even if we also claim our rewards we need to pay tax right something that uh, i don't know how other validators do this but we are officially sitting in europe in austria <laughs> with the dai company so we also play by the rules of the government so we do all of we never claimed yet even by running almost for a year the validator business any rewards because we also believe that we are at the moment um, still in a bear market which very compressed prices and we hope that if by holding those it's basically a long-term bet uh, they will just be valuable more in the future so that's why at the moment we're not selling any of the token mostly we have a few cash cows which i think most of the validators what i understood are also taking benefit of if you are high in the set for uh, bigger uh, chains then uh, you can just take the benefit of selling those and using them more as a revenue income, right? And just holding the smaller uh, validator nodes. I think you, I'll, we lost you for a second, <laughs> but yeah. you're back there. <laughs> uh, uh, thankfully, I'm back. Uh, yeah, my, my internet broke down for two seconds or so. But um, yeah, I, I think I am, I am good now. Yeah. Um, are you yeah. able to hear me or is, is, is my yeah, sound working better. right? The sound oh. is now getting back up, which is good. Okay, good. All right. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, just in a nutshell, I was just saying that most of the tokens we still hold, right? Because um, they don't make enough revenue that it's economically viable with tax also even to claim them. Mm. And we basically take a long-term bet. But we have cost that we need to cover. And for that, we are lucky enough. And it seems that after talking to different validators, if you have usually one or two chains where you hopefully are very high in the set, so they're truly your cash cows, right? And then what we are doing right now, just trying to survive the bear market, is we are lucky that we have one or two chains which we are higher up that truly create enough revenue to sustain our business. We every now and then claim those, um, sell them for fiat money to just cover our cost. Um, also trying to cover the time invested on our side, but most of this we never claim, for example, you can see it on chain. Cosmos Hub, we never claimed. Osmosis, we never claimed. Kujira, never claimed. <laughs> mm -hmm. And this goes on like this. Juno, the same at the moment. Um, Secret Network, which we're in, also never claimed. Um, yeah. What is the tax rule that makes uh, claiming staking rewards a taxable event? So it's just income that you generate, right? So you basically need to pay income tax. Um, on this. So this is uh, how at least we tackle it over there in Austria. As I said, we have a joint venture. I'm in Germany, but then the guys from Dyke are running this from Austria. And it's just as a company, you just create revenue, so income, and then you just need to tax it accordingly. So you don't get 100% of the upside, at least mm -hmm. not in our jurisdiction, probably different in other jurisdictions. Uh, because then uh, one door that's already completely blocked for validators is uh, 
taking advantage of the compounding effect, right? Uh, normally, you have an, an optimal restaking frequency so that you like restake the staking rewards that you earned. And um, if you can't claim them because it, it would be a taxable event, you can't even do that. Yes. Um, this is something that not only for validators, but I think for a lot of retail people uh, is haunting them from last year if they did tax <laughs> in crypto <laughs> and will also haunt them this year. Um, I personally don't restake anything at all because in Germany, it doesn't make sense economically <laughs> to take benefit of this uh, auto compounding because even more after this uh, crazy bear market, you're right now sitting at more tax claims than you have still probably tokens to pay for, <laughs> which is mm. not a good sign because it took benefit of this restaking. But I mean, it's also complete uh, BS, right? How often tax laws are handling this topic because if you give it to a vault where basically a smart contract is uh, doing this for you, then you're fine again. Uh, but I mean, we are we need to claim as a validator first off the commissions as a whole, right? And then truly restake them, right? We cannot use any kind of third party tool, which we anyway are very careful as a validator of to connecting them to our businesses. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, this is nothing to take benefit. Of. I mean, we still did it uh, for Ethmos, for example. You could also see it on chain, right? We we claimed the commission, we created an own stake. Uh, we restaked every now and then because the yield was so high, right? And we also wanted to um, keep pace with the rest of the set that, that was also restaking themselves to just gain more governance power. So if the yield is very high, let's say 100 to 300% and higher, it just makes sense to still do it. Uh, but uh, I would say it's no coincidence that the FMOS token as an example just uh, went down like 80% in the last months because end of the year is coming, people need to pay tax, also validated. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it seems that some people just sold their um, commission, which is totally fine. but. Um, there you see those effects. Always interesting to see them in action. <laughs> mm. uh, just uh, circling back to this uh, running at a 1,000 US dollar cost per month. Is, yeah. sal is salary in there or not? Yes, that would be for me um, a minimum, mm. truly a minimum setup, which is even a setup without governance if you think about this properly. So I think um, if you're running a node, the perfect world is you do not need to do anything once it's set up, right? It just runs. And it's all good. But what people don't um, think about often or don't have in mind is that there are a lot of chain updates, right? And they just happen in the middle of the night or whenever, right? And then just, or something crazy is happening like this Dragonberry bug that we just had a few weeks ago. And then everybody needs to run and do stuff immediately. And uh, if you say a thousand bucks, and let's say we have the minimum infrastructure, which is $100 just for infrastructure. So we still have 900 dollars still to pay for people that are running the infrastructure which is at least western countries let me say that that's nine hours a month maximum that you can mm -hmm. invest nine hours this is already software updates and just checking monitoring whatever and engaging a bit in discord because some technical update is coming there's no governance involvement any at all and if we do this let's put per chain four hours a month on top, also not enough, mm -hmm. but I would say that's okay per ecosystem. So you would at least say $1,500 is I think a good number to run a validator node. If I would do now the same analysis again with 1,500 at today's prices, I don't want to check the numbers. Mm -hmm. I don't think that they look very good. I mean, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on kind of uh, how I see this, but I think we need to also think about that people want to get an upside and not only pay for the infrastructure cost, right? As you mentioned before, it's incentivizing to do something 
yeah. the moment we're not incentivizing with this to do anything you cannot run a system on um what's the term it's like the the blood of your heart right yeah uh, you you need to you need to put food on the table uh, yeah. and, and validators need to be need to need to put food on the table so uh you every chain will depending on how long the bear market goes and everyone is is taking the gamble um i just need to survive i want to survive and then when the next up up cycle comes or uh, comes i'm i will be able to to profit from my long tail bets that i have made with the smaller tokens that i'm validating um at some point if it drags out and drags out uh you will not be able to have a decentralized computational network because the validators will just shut off so yeah. uh, infrastructure is the base layer and it needs to be paid for and um i think it's very valuable the insight that you gave how the cost structure of a validator looks like because for for the normal staker this is not visible at all yeah yeah it's uh it's a big problem it's so interesting because the moment you start talking about this like one of the comments that i got on this is like yeah then just don't do it as as you said also right it also doesn't make sense so why do you right now give feedback on that that's not uh let's say a sustainable business and i said i mean first of all we're coming from a position where in the bull market a lot of validators did very well right and mm -hmm. hopefully they just created a treasury as you mentioned and can now be running over a long time but there are a lot of new ecosystems which are right now spin up at the moment and those also need to check and nobody was expecting that we are so deep into the bear market right it's always the same right you say yeah you saw that coming no <laughs> you didn't <laughs> expect osmo to be down at below one dollar right you didn't expect well, atom is doing quite well but everybody else right um so this is the big problem and um yeah the moment you talk about this it's always weird because there will be people saying yeah then just uh figure it out by yourself but <laughs> it's not that um, straightforward and i said I'm, i'm a big fan of let's cut down the sets that would also mean for a lot of sets that we for example would not be on the main net anymore right we would lose our position so be it if that's better for the whole ecosystem then let's try to talk about this uh, rather than just defend our position hmm. so uh, this then goes a little bit also into your outlook for um, the staking market or crypto market in general so um currently proof of stake blockchains market cap uh last time i checked it's like 280 billion um I, we've done some internal calculations and it's in line with uh, models that I've seen elsewhere. Um, a rough estimation is that this might do 10x. So let's say 2 trillion US dollars in five to 10 years. Would you subscribe to that? Is that in line with your expectation or like a scenario model analysis of the market going forward? Um I haven't done any numbers in a few weeks and months <laughs> hmm. due to the fact that um, this is right now very difficult. Also in terms of, I think it was double uh, a sword for crypto this year because of macroeconomic outlook, right? After this big Corona crisis uh, and now also the own bear market due to, yeah, some, let's say, misinvestments by the crypto industry itself. Hmm. So we at least as a validator right now don't do any numbers um we know that we would be running at a profit already if we just do a 2x from here which is nothing crazy to expect if we just recover a bit if we get a new narrative and crypto recovers we would be already happy 
with what we are getting right now because we're also not having crazy expectations of truly <laughs> making hundred thousands of here. If we just run a business where we can sustain, I myself here and my friends from Die Capital are doing also good in terms of income. That's cool. So it's interesting to listen to you and you have way better of an overview with the amazing business you're running and staking rewards to understand this. I'm honest, I haven't done the numbers lately, mm. at least. So I don't have a feeling about this. Is this possible? No problem. <laughs> I would yeah. say we're still very small in general. Um, what I'm thinking about, uh, especially coming from staking rewards, we show all the rewards that stakers get on the different assets. Um, right now, the average staking reward rate is, is about 8.7%. This mm -hmm. was super attractive in the low yield environment we had the previous years, where you basically would get no interest on your savings. Uh, and a lot of solutions were coming up there uh, trying to put this yield in crypto and, and transform it in a way into a yield that you would get on your normal fiat money. But now that... Um, like uh, the the rates for U.S. Treasury bills, for example, they have uh, picked up. Um, this does not look so attractive anymore, right? And um, with with the staking market growing, with more people participating, you would also expect to, the average staking rewards rate to go down. So let's mm -hmm. say right now it's eight point five, eight point seven, could go down to five percent. Who mm -hmm. would be um, interested in run like jumping through all these ux ui hoops that we mentioned in the beginning to get to get five percent or even eight percent when you get three or four percent on t-bills right so that's definitely something that i'm thinking about and um yeah i don't know if you had discussions there with with other people in the market this is definitely a thing that a topic a talking point that i would bring on the table for the staking industry yeah I mean, I personally saw staking yield never as a yield that you should calculate only in fiat, because if you calculate in fiat, you're calculating and selling this, which is totally fine, right, to create revenue. If not, and as I said, at least in my jurisdiction, also from a tax perspective, it makes way more sense to at least hold to that. And I see it as an increase of your stake, literally, of the network that also can be hopefully long-term expressed in governance. And if you believe in the ecosystem, it's basically getting you right now an 8% yield, which in terms of, uh, we often, the question is, I don't know if you calculate your yield now in terms of tokens or in true fiat money, because that's also a difference, right? Some people calculate in, in fiat terms, some in true tokens. For example, in the Cosmos ecosystem, you uh, calculate it in true tokens, which makes sense because you're staking 100 tokens, 8% means you have eight more tokens. But that expectations can change a lot in terms of price <laughs> over the year, mm -hmm. right? And if I get eight tokens more this year, but that eight tokens are a 10x in 10 years, it was a good deal that I've held to this today, but nobody knows. But that's how I'm seeing right now more staking myself. I have an interest in the ecosystem. I have an interest in increasing also my stake. I would like to even do some governance decisions with this. Uh, if not, I'm just falling behind because others are getting that yield and holding to those tokens. And that's how I would see this. I think we should not even trying to get into competition with more classical financial tools like bonds, as you said, because those are paid out to truly get money somewhere else to then give you a yield in as terms of a thank you, right? Because they are mm. moving money back and forth. And this is not how I understand, at least this is now very simplified staking. 
as a whole, right? There, it's an incentive that you can increase your holdings in the network tokens to help secure it, secure the network. That's how I see more staking, and not only as a financial tool. Hmm. And uh, moving a little bit to the closure of this episode, what are your personal goals for 2023, and what's your roadmap for Denquizone with Dake validators? Um. You could almost say surviving is for sure one goal of 2023 uh, in this bear market. Um, it's for sure not an easy uh, environment. I think everything goes down also in terms of clicks and views for my channel. So my goal for 2023 is just keep on grinding as hard as possible, uh, keep on getting involved in this ecosystem. Uh, I was lucky to get in touch with a ton of great people like you guys. Uh, I'm happy to get involved myself into uh, still conferences and help out. And the other goal specifically for Dyke as uh, my, let's say, friends and partners running the validator business is to increase, if possible, the amount of mainnets we are running on and also increase our position in the set to truly be, let's say, a small, big validator player. <laughs> <laughs> let's say not being on the level of, I said, Chorus 1 or Citadel 1 or so forth, but being truly recognized also as a, let's say, cool joint venture um, as a project, almost, you could say, right? Because I think in the beginning, what I saw was a big challenge is that when I approach projects or so in terms of, hey, we're running a validator, we would like to be integrated into your testnet, we would like to contribute, they were always a bit careful because uh, you're, you're a weird influencer, right? Which I don't like to say myself. <laughs> you're running probably on Bison Trade somewhere on AWS, on an online server. How can you contribute? That's not the case, right? So we truly focus on tech. We're very proud to be the first bigger Cosmos validator that is running bare metal in Austria. Uh, you can see it right now if you check those charts where everybody is from. So there is one small flag in Austria and that's us yeah. and that we are very proud of. Shout out to Peter and Simon for running the infrastructure. We are right now on Game of Chains. We are trying to get into the interchain uh, security topic, right? We want to be one of the first ones running that one and contributing to this. So this is our other goal. Uh, keep on with our business and trying to truly, um, yeah, how would you say in English? Keep on growing our validators. Yeah. That's it. Truly keep on growing and be understood as a really good resource in the space. Uh, do you, are you able to share any of the test nets uh, that you are eyeing right now to become yeah. a validator for? Uh, I'm even thinking of, uh, do I have my list somewhere quickly at hand? Um, so, Last time we spoke about this with uh, the team, we were, I think, on 14 mainnets and also on 10 testnets, if I'm not mistaken. Um, just to uh, name a few of the big ones, Say Network, right, which is right now one of the most promising networks on Cosmos SDK. Um, that's the one we're right now trying to uh, enter <laughs> into the Genesis set. Um, we're trying to maybe eye something like DYDX, but uh, that's very far away, right? We're trying to get in contact with them at the moment. We are on SUI, uh, which is one of those uh, old Facebook projects, right? We have Aptos and SUI, which are coming out. We tried to apply for Aptos. We didn't get into the set, but SUI, we were very lucky to get in. We are right now on the testnet on Andromeda, which is a former Terra project, which is right now opening up more and more their information of what they're doing, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, which else? Uh, Quasar, we are also right now on testnet uh, helping out there. As said, Neutron with the interchain security, 
we are on there. So those are fun. Nolus is another project which is coming to Cosmos. Yeah, just to, to mention a few. <laughs> so we're trying our best in the background to get into a lot of different networks. Super interesting to get a uh, behind the scenes peek, so to say, into your decision process then. I think maybe there's some alpha in there for some of the listeners as well. Uh, <laughs> we are closing it off here. What's the best way to follow you? Um, yeah, on Twitter, just at Danku underscore R. That's where people can find me on YouTube. Same. Now they have tags on YouTube. So it's still at Danku underscore R that you can truly now do like youtube.com slash at Danku underscore R. It's super cool. It's a new feature, I think like a month old um, or so. And then of course, if somebody wants to get more information on our validator businesses, dyke.capital slash Danku underscore zone, uh, right? But all the information you can also find on my Twitter account where I link directly to our Dyke page. And there everybody can see all the different validators we're running on mainnet. And with one click, you can get onto the staking page and then people can stake if they wish to do so, which big thank you to everybody uh, who wants to stake with us or is staking. And also big thank you here to you guys for inviting me to even talk about it. Thank you, Denku, for being so generous with your time. We have been speaking with Denku. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to check out on any of the previous episodes on Spotify and YouTube and subscribe to our channel for all future episodes. We love your comments, feedback, and suggestions. You can write us at mondays at stakingrewards.com, sign up to your State of Stake newsletter at newsletter.stakingrewards.com, and follow me on Twitter. That's Roki Fehu, R-O-K-I-F-E-H-U, and our team at Staking Rewards. I'm Marian Walter. You're, you've been listening to the Staking Mondays podcast here on Staking Rewards. For thank you and the audience, thanks for tuning in. Thank you.